to the audio podcasts on iTunes and Buzzsprouts, I want to say God bless you. Thank you for being uh, a part of the ministry. And thank you for the testimonies that you send to us from time to time. We are truly encouraged by them to know that God is doing the same things in your life. And we pray that God will continue to surely cause you to encounter and have more testimonies in Jesus' name. So we want to thank God for this series. The title of the series has been Empowered to be Witnesses by Divine Help. We have a banner which we have been using. And uh, if you notice, most of our series, we have one banner which goes on to highlight uh, the topics in the series from Sunday to Sunday. So we have a banner that we have been using uh, and um, we've come to this week whereby it is, um, the title is the Empowerment for Influence. Empowerment for Influence. Thank you very much. That takes us to chapters 25 and chapters, chapter, chapters 25 and 6 in the book of Acts. We have gone through chapters 1 to 24 in the first eight sessions, in the first seven sessions, and uh, this is the eighth session, and next week will be the ninth session and the finale. And as I said to you before, this is as God laid it on my heart to take us through the journey of the book of Acts at this point in time. It is a very loaded book, uh, and I've said it over and over that if we were to go through it again, we can go through it with a very different set of themes from what we have picked up and even mix up the chapters in very different ways, either in the same sequence but with different themes, or pick chapters and add them together. It's a very, very powerful book. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to go through this journey at this time so that we can be empowered as witnesses indeed. Right from Acts chapter 13, we started to see when God said, Separated to me, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the works whereunto I've called them. From chapter 13 right through to the end of the chapter, we began to see the growing ministry of Apostle Paul. And um, ever since the last few sessions of the series, we have been looking at certain principles that he used or that operated around his life that we can also learn from. We saw that he was a man who operated divine connections. We saw that he was a man who allowed his steps to be ordered to the right places as he was delivering his mission. And last week we saw that he was a man who operated by vindication. A man who operated simply by uh, going in the conviction of his heart in good conscience and not allowing the accusations of the enemy that was attempting to limit him, to stop him at any point. And today we come to a very key aspect of Paul's ministry, which is his ability to exert or manifest influence in the appropriate quarters, even as he delivers his mission. So we have been reading our key verses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We are going to read it again together today as we go on in the series. Let's read together. Let's go now. One, two. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So God's command to us is to be witnesses. To be witnesses. And this is very important for us to learn because the sole purpose of Christianity, as I've said to you again and again, is that we live as witnesses. Amen. Hallelujah. So our study of the book of Acts has helped us to see several principles there. Now in chapters 25 and chapter in chapter 25 and chapter 26, we're going to see how Paul's ministry uh, excelled 
by the power of influence. When we talk about influence, we are talking about what you and I should be. Influence is the capacity to have impact or demonstrate impact on a person's character, a person's behavior, or a person's development. The capacity or ability for you to be able to have impact on a person's character, their development, or their behavior. Now, when you look through the entire scriptures, you will find that this is what God has called us to be. The very first disciples that Jesus called, they were fishermen, Peter and uh, James, Peter, James, and John, and their other brothers. They were fishermen, but Jesus, when he called them, he said to them, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you influential. You will not just be, when you catch fish, all you do is catch fish. That's limiting. Good, but limiting. But when you catch men, you catch men who can catch fish, who can farm, who can do other things, and then you have more influence. So your life is not meant to just be that of fish catching, but of influence, of making that impact in influencing people. And ever since that day, they followed him. The Bible says they left all and they followed him. Say influence. Now, he, he did nothing other than to show them that catching fish was a very small thing as far as he was concerned. They were struggling to catch fish. Then he helped them to see how supernaturally they can catch fish by just believing in him and his word. And they saw it, and since that day, they were influenced. Believers, we are called to be people of influence so that we can have effect of impact on the character, the development, and the behavior of someone or something. So to manifest influence as witnesses, we must engage the power of God. We will look at Acts chapter 26. I will paraphrase Acts 25 again and I want you to please read it because you get a holistic picture of the message when you read the chapters that we're focusing on. Acts 25 talks about when Festus took him in Caesarea and uh, he was uh, brought, the Jews brought accusations against him and he was working uh, to see, they were working to see how Paul would actually be punished, if possible, put in jail. And obviously, if it was possible to actually have him eliminated. And so they did everything they could to convince Festus, who was the governor of Caesarea, that this was going to, uh, this is what they wanted him to do. Now, we know Festus took over from Felix after Felix, you know, could not uh, conclude uh, well with Paul, but had him bound up for some time. But Festus was very crafty. He knew that Paul did not commit anything wrong, did not commit any sin. But he wanted to dance to the tune of the Jews. He wanted to please them, and he was trying to just get them to be on his side. And so a time came when Paul was standing before him in Acts chapter 25, and Paul said to him that, look, I'm not going to uh, continue like this. I'm going to have you I'm going to appeal to Caesar because my case is going nowhere. And so we come to Acts chapter 26. When King Agrippa came down, I'm just trying to paraphrase it, but please read this thing. When King Agrippa came down to Caesarea and uh, he began to say to Paul, give me your own side of the story. And Paul, obviously, like he did in front of Felix, he did in front of Festus, he is doing again, began to tell 
King Agrippa, his testimony, that everybody around knows that he was a ruffian. He was somebody who was against the way. He was also in their shoes at a point. And I want us to understand that very important principle before we look at the two key things I want us to look at. Your testimony and my testimony helps us to connect to people in our humanity. We are new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. You no longer do those things or you no longer are influenced by those things. But you once were like that, peradventure. It's good to relate with people, to let them know that you weren't born. Nobody was born, born again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Have you ever met a Christian who said, I was born, born again? No, if you find one, tell them, no, now you need to get born again because that means you've never really been born again. <laughs> Hallelujah. So nobody was born, born again. Everybody was born again after a natural process of life. It could have been age 5, it could have been age 10, it could have been age 50, it doesn't matter. But then you become a new creation. But you must understand that you must have the ability to connect to people with your humanity. To let people understand that there was a time you lived like them. You had no understanding of scripture and um, you lived like them. So Paul did that as much as he could. But there are two things that we must engage as we find in the life of Paul. The first thing we find as we begin to read from Acts chapter 26 verse 19 is, say with me, the power of the gospel. As simple as this sounds, the church of today has lost the relevance in many cases of emphasizing the power of the gospel. The gospel is not many. The gospel is just one message. It is the good news of Christ sent to mankind to save mankind from sin and damnation. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ giving his life, resurrecting from the dead, and giving us the opportunity to come into fellowship with God, that, the fellowship that we lost in the Garden of Eden. That is the gospel. Many of us talk about the gospel, and today we hear things like the uh, healing gospel, the prosperity gospel, and all those sort of things. Those things are not the gospel. They are the products of the gospel. And so believers must understand that the gospel is the message of Christ given to mankind that whosoever receives him becomes a new creation and then all things are passed away. And then they begin to enjoy the benefits of the gospel in those things. So Paul was very emphatic about the gospel. In verse 18, verse 19, let's read together. He said to King, he said, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Verse 20, but declared first to those in Damascus. Verse 20, verse 20, declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Look at that. That they should, number one, do what? Repent. Number two, turn to God. And number three, do works befitting repentance. These three things is what makes a Christian, is what makes somebody. Repentance means turning around, of course, but first and foremost, acknowledging that we are sinners and accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is the first step of repentance. Then turning to God means yielding our lives, following after his ways. Then number three, doing works. Doing works, proclaiming the same, living out the life. Now, a lot of people don't like to hear about works. 
Many people say we should not be work, we should not do works to be saved, which is true. We are saved by faith through grace. But there is works that we must do after salvation. That the Bible says that we are not saved by works does not mean that there are no works to do after salvation. Paul said you must do works. Do works befitting of repentance. So this theology and this message that is going around saying that you just need to be saved and once you are saved you are okay and you do nothing about it is not of God. The message of the gospel is that first you repent, you turn to God, and then you do works befitting that repentance. Works that shows that Christ-likeness. Works that shows that fruit of repentance. Verse 21, he said, For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And if they tried to kill Paul, I want you to know that they will try to kill you. And what I mean by that is that the same enemy who is fighting against Paul, spreading the message, is still the same one we are battling with today. Paul said we should not think that we are wrestling against flesh and blood, but we are wrestling against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of darkness. The force of evil that has been set in battle array right from the Garden of Eden. We are still battling them today. But we must understand that at times they walk through men, through systems, and we have to continue to trust God to deliver us. The gospel, say with me, the gospel is the ticket. That is what we need to preach. If you are going to be, if I want to uh, treat you, and if you pray hard, maybe it can happen someday, soon, and I give you a 5,000 pound worth ticket, you and your wife, or you and your husband, and I say, this is for a worldwide cruise that will last for three weeks. Now, that ticket in your hand gives you access to everything that is about that cruise. It gives you access to the taxi that has been arranged as part of the package that will pick you from home, take you to the airport, take you to, that will fly, that will, and the flight that will take you to the particular port that you are going to board that liner, ocean liner, and everything that you will enjoy but ultimately, what that ticket takes you to is the destination that you are meant to take your cruise to. Praise the Lord. So you understand that everything along the ticket takes you to the destination, but everything that you enjoy, the food, the hotel, everything that is left, or the boarding rather on the ship, and everything that you enjoy is part and parcel of that ticket already paid for. So my emphasis to you is to make sure you get the ticket. Not about you, what you'll enjoy in the food that you'll eat. About the hotel or the, the, uh, the lodging that you'll stay. Or about the swimming pool that you'll use or the facilities on the ship. Because that's not the ultimate. The ultimate is that you get the ticket that takes you to that other destination. Praise the Lord. The salvation, the gospel is the ticket that takes us to our salvation experience in heaven but everything that is alongside is what is given to us to enjoy freely and this is very important because we have a lot of emphasis today on things that are byproducts of the gospel that we must understand that are part and parcel jesus said when you seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness all these other things will be added to you so we must not be ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it is what? The power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes. For the Jews first and also for the Greek. Let's read verse 17 together loud and clear. He said, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In it, in what? The gospel. The gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So what we need to keep holding on to and giving to people is the gospel. When we are sharing our testimonies, it's very good. When we are sharing what God has done in our lives, transforming our lives, and the blessings he gives us, it's all very good. It helps us to relate with the people. But what saves people is not my story or your story. What saves people is the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ was given to mankind and whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For in it, in that message, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So every time we declare the gospel, we evoke help from God. Paul said, this is all I've been doing. I've been going around and telling everyone that they should repent. I tell them my story and then I tell them that they should repent, turn to God and do works of righteousness. And look at what happened. Every time we declare the gospel, we evoke help from God. Look at what happened to Paul in Acts 26 verse 22. He said, therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand, verse 22, verse 22, Acts 13 26 22 he says therefore having obtained help from god to this day i stand witnessing both to small and great saying to no other things than those which the prophets and moses said would come thank you please follow me very well now church let's read together verse 22 therefore having obtained help from god to this day i stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Let's read verse 23. That Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. This is the, the summary of it. Go back to verse 22. He says, therefore, having obtained help from God. I want you to know that as you pro- anytime you proclaim the gospel, anytime you deliver the gospel, anytime you mention the gospel, anytime you speak the gospel, you evoke help. Paul said, I have been going about giving that message. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In our case, to the great, what we call the great commission. He said, I wasn't disobedient to it. But every time I was declaring, I obtained help from God. This is very important. He said, having obtained help from God, we must understand that God is with us. Everywhere we go, every time we are declaring the gospel, God is committed to the message of the gospel. Hallelujah. 
The reason why believers are ashamed to declare the gospel is because we do not understand that even if the world does not like to hear it, even if the world is against the message, God is committed to the message. We feel that we need to be politically correct. We need to have language that they would like and would appeal to them. Whilst we need to be contextual in delivering the gospel, we must not water down the power in it. The Bible says it is the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. Nothing leads to salvation like the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that he gave to us when, that God gave to us when he sent Jesus to us. We must continue. He said he is with us. Matthew 28 verse 20. He said, keep teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This does not just mean when we go out on the streets and we are sharing flyers and speaking to people about gospel, the gospel message. What this means is that everywhere we are, everything we do, we must continue to remember that he is with us. When you know that God is with you, you know you have the backing of heaven. You approach life differently. Hallelujah. The fears and the things that intimidate people no longer intimidate you. You need to understand this. When you are carrying the authority of earthly powers, you know how confident you are. You know that. Now, how much more God, the one who created all things, the one who made you and I, the one who created and formed everyone, says he is with you. So you and I have no reason, to, no need to be ashamed, no need to be afraid of declaring the gospel. This is why Paul said, I have not done anything wrong. The only thing that, I, that I'm being held uh, to account for is the fact that I declared that there will be resurrection of the dead. And why do people so hate to hear the resurrection of the dead? Because it reminds them of the judgment. It's as simple as that. The reason why the people, they agree everything he says. Jesus came, they, they, they like that. They believe the law, they believe the prophets, they like that. But the moment he says the resurrection of the dead, they all go crazy because nobody wants to come to that place where they're going to be held account, to account for their lives. But unfortunately, there is nothing anyone can do about it. Hebrews 9.27 says, For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. God is not going to judge dead people. He's going to judge resurrected people. Hallelujah. The Bible says when Christ appears, we shall, those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up with him. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Hallelujah. So everyone will rise and everyone will face the judgment. This is the message of the gospel. And we must continue to share it with our word. Even Jesus Christ in Acts 10, 38, when Jesus, the Bible says he was Jesus of Nazareth, and uh, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with what? Power. And he did what? He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil for what? God was with him. Jesus of Nazareth was put there for emphasis. This is not Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the, tri the, 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 the second person in the trinity this is jesus the son of man the one who was made flesh in john chapter 1 verse 14 just for us to remember that like we are 
The same way God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. You and I are anointed. And as we go about doing good, declaring the counsel of God in the gospel, we must know that God continues to commit to being with us. I want you to bask in the confidence of this word in everything you do. Never ever lose sight of the fact that God is with you. It, it not only helps you to be confident, it also helps you to live in a way that keeps you in doing the works of righteousness. Many times we think we're alone, but we're never alone. This is why people still find it very easy to sneak into things when they're alone in their rooms with their computers. This is why people find it very easy to sneak into uh, areas where they, don't, they think that they are not known. They went on a holiday and they're in a place, and then they're in this place that it seems as if nobody knows them. And then they find it easy to compromise and do things because they forget that God is with them. So always remember that God is with you. Hallelujah. And as you remember that he's with you, he strengthens you in such times that the enemy will want you to compromise. And he also strengthens you in such times that the enemy will want you not to be able to declare the gospel. I pray that God will continue to perfect all that concerns you. In the name of Jesus. So say with me again, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is very important and we must always leverage it to be people of influence. Many people are trying to be influential today with psychology. I'm talking about Christians. So they study a lot of psychology, study a lot of sociology, study a lot of history. And I believe in every one of those things. They are given to man to be able to advance knowledge. But nothing replaces the gospel. If all I do every time I come here is to tell you about those things that are scientific or psychological and so on and so forth then I haven't given you what will make you live from faith to faith. Because it didn't say it is in psychology or history that man will live, that the righteousness of God is revealed. Is that what he said in Romans 1.17? No. He didn't say it's in any of those things. He said, for it is in the gospel that the power of God is revealed from faith to faith. So it is so important that we understand that it is all about the gospel. Everything else should just help us to present that gospel. May God continue to give us the wisdom. In the name of Jesus. The second thing is the power of perseverance. Say with me, perseverance. This is a godly trait that believers must have. Perseverance is exercising patience in the light of time. We must understand that if we want to be people of influence, we must be people who can persevere. God's nature is perseverance, and Paul demonstrated it in his own life. Look at Acts chapter 26, verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Verse 29, and let's read that together. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both Almost and altogether, such as I am, except for the chains. Hallelujah. He, the, the, the king said, you are almost persuading me to be a Christian. I want to read it in NIV. The NIV verse 26, verse 28. I like that and I want to read it. He said, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And verse 29, Paul said, Short time or long time? <laughs> Short time 
or long time. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for this change. Perseverance is God's nature that we must have. If you are going to be successful in ministry, as a matter of fact, in life and in your life assignment, you must know how to persevere. Our generation is the microwave generation. We want it quick. We want it now. And if it's not happening now, we are gone. And if we get to the next place, we ask them quick. And now I was driving through a service station the other day. And I found that virtually every one of the entry chains now have a drive through You know, it used to be restricted to the likes of... Uh, uh, it actually started, I guess, with KFC, then gone on to the likes of McDonald's and so on. But even the coffee chains now, Starbucks and every, everybody does it. Because if you don't have a drive through that allows people to remain in their cars, you may find that you are losing business. <laughs> so very soon, they will be following you about, not just... <laughs> They will have mobile cats that will be driving after you. So anytime you stop, they will stop with you and say, okay. <laughs> because this generation just wants it quick and lazy and just enjoy. Hallelujah. I was going uh, in Wolverhampton yesterday and the ring road and uh, one of these Asda delivery, home delivery trucks, somehow, maybe the door wasn't properly shut and as the man was negotiating the roundabout, it got flung open before I got there and Obviously, a lot of the things were spilled on the ground. I didn't know what it was. I just saw groceries and stuff. I said, what's happening here? So as I drove along the track, and I saw the pickup truck later in front. And um, I, it occurred to me that he was obviously going for home delivery. There was cabbage, there was butter, bread, all kinds of things. So obviously, he, he will need to contact the people and let them know. But you know, I was shocked because um, this, this, that principle, that, uh, that thing actually started just about 18 years ago, 19, 17, 18 years ago, when the food chains found that it was becoming more difficult for people to actually physically come to, sh to the shops to buy things. So they started taking it to them at home. Hallelujah. And there are people today who hardly would go to shops anymore. They just sit at home and press the thing and wait for another 30 minutes to one hour, and everything is delivered. Now, sadly, that is good, but in a way, that now makes the message of the gospel and the Christian life something that we must understand that God will not, because of that, change to it. God will not, because we like fast things, make sure that everyone we speak to the first time gets born again. No, he won't because we choose it that way. If he decides that he, he wants to take his time to wait on a person, he does so. Look at what he said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He said, but beloved, do not forget. Are you reading with me? Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack. He is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But his word long-suffering or persevering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul said to Agrippa, whether long time or short time, my prayer is that one day you and everyone listening to me will be saved. This should be our attitude. When we go to town and we speak to people and we sow the seed of the word of God, we should not feel discouraged. If people say to you, they pray with you, they, 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 they engage with you, and then you don't see them, or you call them the next day, they don't want to take your call. Don't be discouraged. You keep persevering. Somebody say, keep persevering. keep persevering. 
there are certain people who come to the faith at the point you met them because many believers had worked on them before. Many, many people have prayed. Many people have spoken. Many people have done. And then you spoke to them and they gave their lives. And if care is not taken, you would think it was that one minute you spent with them that did it. No, there's been 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. It just happened that you were the last person to hold the button of that relay race concerning that life. <laughs> I'm sure Pastor Moses understands what I'm talking about. And then they come, give their life to Christ and we celebrate. But there is a history of people who have walked with God who is not slack concerning his promise, who is patiently waiting that no one would perish. Paul said to Agrippa, he said, I don't care whether you do it now or later. All I'm praying is that one day you do it. Hallelujah. And I pray that God gives us that level of perseverance in the name of Jesus. As you apply it to the gospel, you must know how to apply it to your business. Young people understand me. They may call you manager today. But, you know, in our days, when you're a fresh graduate, they call you graduate something. Hmm? They call you graduate engineer to remind you that you have just graduated. These days, people don't like to be called graduates anything. <laughs> they want to be called manager from day one. <laughs> so we look for, and if you don't give them those titles, they go to the next company that gives them those titles. Believe me. So we look for fanciful names now. We call them associate. <laughs> associate. What are you associating? You have only graduated. Take time. Learn. Everybody that you see who is a manager today, they learned. They grew in experience. <laughs> Hallelujah. But this is what the world has turned to. We don't want to wait patiently to persevere, to build careers, to build uh, businesses, to build ministry. People see ministries that have gone for 35 years and just want to be like that in one day. Do you know how many people have cried? Do you know how many people have died? I was listening to John MacArthur the other day. John MacArthur has spent 50 years or more in ministry now. Pastor John, great, great servant of God. He said in 50 years of ministry, you can imagine. I have dedicated children. I have buried children. I have committed them to marriage. I have buried grandfathers. I have buried... And I said, God have mercy. <laughs> but you can do all that in 50 years. It's a long time. But the ministry today, he was giving a thanksgiving message to the, to the brethren. He said, I thank you so much for your giving last year. You guys, just look at you. You are so lovely. You gave two and a half million dollars to the work of the kingdom. I just love you people. I said, Lord, I like this elite level of ease. <laughs> Hallelujah. No stress about it at all. But it takes years. Hallelujah. I'm not saying that you have to wait for 50 years to build that. But what happens is that we have a generation who does not understand the place of persevering. So you want the result that happens to people in 15 years to happen to you in 4 years. You take your time. So I say, take time. I mean, say it like me. Say time. Now that is very, very good. You take time. That is, you put effort into it. Something will tell you, give up. You say, no, I'm going again. 5 a.m., the thing links at Zoom. Prayer time. <laughs> you say, Lord, I want to sleep. The Holy Spirit say, get up now. <laughs> get up now. Somebody say, take time. You keep pressing. You keep pressing. There is nobody that attains in this life without persevering. But my God will cause you to reap the fruits. In the name of Jesus. Influence is a function. I want to start to conclude this now. Influence is a function of time. And impact is also a function of time. 
Jesus talked about the mustard seed in Matthew chapter 13 and uh, verse 31. He talks about the mustard seed and the leaven. They take time. He said, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Which indeed is the least of all seeds, verse 32. He said, but when it is grown, somebody say, when it is grown. That is a process of time. He said, but when it is grown, it is greater. It is not greater when you see it and the first time it looks meaningless. But when it is grown, it is greater than every herb. And then it becomes what? A tree. This is how the gospel is. When you sow it, it doesn't look like much. Acts 19.20, the Bible says, So the word mightily grew and it prevailed. It grows. It begins to... When you sow the seed of the word of God in the life of somebody, and like we heard from Brafolari, those of you that missed the power tower, you missed the very powerful sharing this morning. And he shared with us of how the influence of water over time, you let it go in and let it go in. And then what comes out at the end of the day is a function of what you have allowed to go in over time. Some of these scriptures that you hear me reading here to, many times that I use for my messages, it is true that you hear them many times. But I've heard some of these scriptures ever since I was like these children running about, reciting them on stage like this, like the ones we saw just a few minutes ago. But over time, it begins to make more meaning, more depth. More strength comes from it. And when you share it, it's different. The Bible says when it is grown, it is greater than all herbs and becomes a tree. And then everything begins to perch in it. Verse 33 said, another parable, he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Sorry, verse 33. Another parable, he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven." The leaven there is like yeast. Leaven means yeast, like yeast that you put in dough, and after some time, it rises. How many of you know that when you put it and you start, you look in the oven, it looks as if nothing is happening. Then when you go back, after 15 minutes, the thing starts to rise. After 30 minutes, depending on what you are baking, it starts to rise. And then suddenly it fills the place and it gives you a new shape. It gives you the form that you are looking for. That is how leaven works. That is how the Word of God is. You sow it in and it takes time and works through the hearts of men and begins to cause them to be transformed. Hallelujah. We must understand that there is a lot of negative leaven, a lot, a lot of negative influence from outside the church and sadly I must say from within the church in our world today. And 1 Corinthians 13, 15, 33 tells us we should not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good manners. There is a lot of evil in the schools and in the systems of the world, amongst young people today, we have to keep giving the right leaven. If young people come to church and they find hypocrisy, we have not helped them. Because out there, they are seeing lies and facing lies. But then the church, that should be the place where they hear the truth and they can be shaped to know what the truth is to overcome those lies is offering nothing else but hypocrisy. Jesus said we should be careful of hypocrisy. Luke chapter 12 verse 1. As a child, I saw many people who were hypocritical in my father's age. It was only God that saved people like us not to have left the church as young as we were then. Because we could see hypocrisy. Children see hypocrisy. Luke chapter 12 verse 1. The Bible says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people gathered together, so they trampled on one another. He began to say this to his disciples first of all. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? Hypocrisy. 
the level of the, the level of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Is hypocrisy. People who speak to you evil of other people and you see them greeting those people and pretending to those people that they love them. They are hypocrites. Hypocrites in the church and outside the church. You know I don't talk about the church meaning life gate. I'm talking about the body of Christ. He said beware of it. Beware of it. They pretend to be angels of light. They pretend to be the caring ones. They pretend to be the all in all. But what they say about every other person is always negative. Let me tell you a secret about such people. When they are talking to other people about you, it's negative as well. (laughs) So don't think they like you so much that they are telling you negative things about every other person. The moment they move to the next person, you are also included in the negatives. (laughs) They have no good for everybody, anybody whatsoever. Check it out. So when such people bring their hypocritical talk, you say, I don't want to be a part of that. What I want to be a part of is a leaven that is going to influence the gospel and put it in schools, put it in children. I want children to be telling their parents, I like the life of pastor. I did that to my own parents. I said, I like this reverend. I called the name of the reverend. You have heard about him many times here. I said to my father, I like that man. He was not related to me, but I liked his life. He was an orthopedic nurse. And he used to deliver the word of God with so much passion in his days. I said to my father, I like this man. I want to be like him. I want the children here to go home and say, I like that pastor. I like that brother. And of course, you should be concerned if they don't don't talk about you like that as well. (laughs) They should say, dad, I like this thing that you do. Because that is what they see. Let us not... Give them the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. We will not be hypocritical. I say we will not be hypocritical. We need to know how to persevere in the things of God. Perseverance helps us to take on the nature of God so that others can follow. I close with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Our work is to continue to overcome this negative leaven by putting in the positive leaven. Paul said, let's read it together and shout it out. Imitate me... Just as I also imitate Christ. When you imitate Christ, you'll be more like Christ. Many times we say, what would Jesus do? The truth is, we know what Jesus would do. But do we answer that question to do exactly what he would do? If Jesus would forgive, do we forgive? If Jesus would not watch what we are about to watch, would we still carry on? I've told you, don't stay there and say, what is this nonsense? Ah, this nonsense. <laughs> the remote is in your hand and you're saying this nonsense. Turn it off. <laughs> you stood there, you are watching it. It is nonsense. You said it is nonsense and you are still watching it. Five minutes later, what is this nonsense? Ah, this shouldn't be doing this on telly. Just move away from it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. The Lord will continue to establish you. There is something about imitating Christ. The more we imitate Christ, the more we present Christ to the world. The world cannot see the Christ we have seen, but they can see us. When we imitate him, then we give them room to be able to imitate us. This is what influence is all about. And I pray that the same grace and the anointing and much more that was on Apostle Paul, that great servant of God, sent for you and I to be the pioneering apostle of these things that we preach today. That same grace and that same unction will continue to function in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus.